Lucy Caroline Whittemore Myrick was one of Eric Hunnicke's predecessors here at First Parish. Lucy served as parish organist from 1874 until her death in 1879. She was renowned for the splendor of her organ improvisations. Though the hook in Hastings' organ upon which she played so magnificently burned with the church in 1900, her memory was preserved with the installation of the Austin organ, Opus 54, that replaced it in this 1901 sanctuary. Her descendants gave that instrument in her memory. On the facade, which has been preserved in our new instrument, there is a memorial plaque honoring the family matriarch, Lucy Caroline Whittemore Myrick, 1832 to 1879. Lucy was a gifted musician and poet. Her ode to the organ, written in 1877, was read at the dedication of the new 1901 Austin organ. Today, in honor of our new Russell organ, I'd like to share a few stanzas from that poem. Organ, king among the clan of mechanisms complicate, through which the cunning skill of man doth silence make articulate, Harmonious sound, melodic measure. Say, who conceived the wondrous plan to build a palace for this treasure? With chambers round whence, at the pressure of human finger light, on ivory or ebon gate, shall hasten many an airy sprite with sudden consciousness elate, to answer here with ready voice. Lucy Myrick? Indeed, it is I. What are you doing here? I heard the most wonderful organ playing, and it called me here. It called me home. I, I see now that it is a thing of beauty, and indeed a mechanism most complicate. This place, it is the same, and yet not the same. Well, yes, there was a fire, and the building was rebuilt in 1901, and your family gave the new organ that had been in this sanctuary for more than 100 years. Today, we're dedicating a new organ, but the name, the placard honoring you is still on the facade. Goodness, what an honor. It is a most extraordinary instrument. I see now a difference. The balcony was lower in my day, and the choir very, very much smaller. <laughs> Their ranks have indeed swelled. Credit to you, no doubt. Yes, I, I sat at the console there, each Sunday, and Mr. Emerson, he sat just there. I hope I'm not immodest in saying that he quite enjoyed my playing, and he would sit wrapped 
at the end of each service listening. And one morning, he approached me, and he bid me put into words the joy and the passion that I put into my playing. And that is how my ode to the organ came to be. Yes, and it, it was lost for some years, but Ellen Emerson found it among her father's papers. Dear Ellen. We have a room named for her. An Ellen Emerson, An room? Ellen Emerson room? How lovely. Tell me, is it a large room? Quite large. Hmm. A quite large room and a spectacular pipe organ. I, I am indeed fortunate and very wicked. I jest with you. I am deeply honored. Would you read some of your poem for us? I would be delighted. Thank you. I wonder if I may take some water. I find that this time travel has made me quite parched. (laughs) It is a joy, truly, to be among you again. Organ, grand epitome of pipe and sackbut, lyre and lute, tabor, timbrel, psaltery, viol, ten, stringed harp and flute, the trumpets blare, the cymbals clashing, sounds of grief and sounds of glee, dirge funereal, triumph flashing, all, all are there, wailing, dashing, from distant clime, from ancient time, they speak anew in harmony, all meet, all culminate in thee, and answer, here, with ready voice. O builder, build the organ well, bring soundest metal from the mine, and fragrant wood from forest dell, and deck with carvings quaint and fine, sweet music's shrine. Paint angel faces on the silver pipes that shine in front, and in the paneled spaces garlands twine, and nymphs and graces, while caryatides unweary, like the bases of the cord, on either side of the burden carry, seeming still to please praise the Lord, still answering, here with ready voice. Humbly sit I at thy portal, with a sense of awed surprise, that to me, a sinful mortal, should approach such harmonies, grief, care, and fear, and doubt and sorrow, all that pains the soul immortal, all that makes it dread the morrow, all disappear. I seem to borrow wings from ye, ye winged tones, and with thee my heart ascends, till with songs of blessed ones, perchance the organ anthem blends and answers here with ready voice. This place, it was ever my home. All those years that my husband's ill-fated ministry took us from church to church, 
And when at last that unhappy marriage was dissolved, I was free to return here with my children to this place, first parish in Concord, ever the same, (laughs) ever-changing. My friends, my fellow parishioners, they sat where you now sit. Some of their names you know well, but most are lost to history. They laughed and they cried in these pews. They laughed, they cried, they lived, they died in this place we all call home. Treasure it. Keep it well. Listen to that wondrous pipe organ. And remember, wherever your lives may take you, this place will be here always to welcome you home. The fire was first discovered by Watchman Varley, who gave the alarm at about 2.30 a.m. on Thursday, April 12, 1900. The alarm of fire was rung in from Box 16 and was allowed to run continuously for some minutes. It was taken up soon after by the bell in the belfry of the old First Parish Church itself, which rung, as it were, its own death knell. The fire gained so rapidly that it was soon beyond control. In the meanwhile, citizens succeeded in removing cushions, pictures, pianos, and several chairs from the vestry. William T. Farrar entered the burning building and rang the bell in the church until the tower itself was on fire and the roof had been blazing for some time. The tower was the first portion of the building to fall, succumbing to the flames at 3.30. The roof fell 10 minutes later, and at 3.50, the bell fell, and the historic pile was a blazing ruin. Imagine. In one April night, fire completely destroyed our building and our organ. In a matter of hours, that meeting house, which had stood since 1712, was reduced to ashes. And yet, in just over a year, the congregation had built a new meeting house, a virtual replica of the old building. Members of the Brown family, descendants of Lucy Myrick, the former organist at First Parish, 
saw to it that the new sanctuary had a state-of-the-art instrument built by Austin. It was a memorial to their musical matriarch and, in a sense, to the instrument that was destroyed. One can't help but notice the similarities in the designs of their cases. Back at the turn of the 20th century, our congregation experienced a catastrophic loss. Their response was resilient, efficient, and forward-thinking. It was also rooted in their history. The president of the American Unitarian Association, Dr. Samuel A. Elliott, was among the distinguished guests who spoke at the dedication of this building and its organ on October 3rd, 1901. The words he spoke then resonate for us on this day. He said, It is a new beginning in the continuous life of this old parish that you celebrate today. And I rejoice to know that there are here the abundant evidences alike of stability and of movement, of permanence and elasticity. You preserve here the good that the past has had, and you welcome the infusion of new thought and measures and movements You have here the strength of maturity, and you join to it the adaptability of youth. You have the steadfastness of good habit, and with it the joy of new discovery. It is your happy privilege, friends, at once to conserve and to create. Stephen Russell has exhibited this spirit of conservation and creativity in his design of Russell and Company, Opus 54. Steve retained the facade of the 1901 Austin organ, including Lucy Myrick's memorial, and about the quarter of the new instrument is comprised of reconditioned pipework from the old instrument. With traditional craft and artistry, Stephen Russell has combined these components of the old instrument with new materials and modern technology to create a pipe organ that can support our ministry for generations to come. Now, the process of building this new organ, begun in 2008, has taken quite a bit longer than the project of 1900. But in 1900, there must have been such a sense of urgency to fill that huge and sudden void. Here, in the early years of the 21st century, First Parish has been through more gradual, though still dramatic and sometimes painful, transitions. We conducted a capital campaign during an economic downturn. And in that climate, Nancy and Ryan Bucus made an extraordinarily generous gift, assuring that that campaign would support a new organ. We raised and rebuilt the RE wing, refinished the pews and the floor of the sanctuary, and we made the whole facility accessible. We said goodbye 
to beloved ministers and staff, worked through our interim tasks, and welcomed wonderful new ministers. Our organ builder also faced a health crisis and some family losses during those years. As we have all met the challenges of the last eight years, this organ has been slowly developing, keeping step with us as we move forward. Its completion marks the end of our capital campaign and building project, and it coincides with the beginning of a new era of ministry for First Parish in Concord. I make it a habit to occasionally wander into this sanctuary by myself just to be in this sacred space alone and to listen for that music so subtle and vast that no one hears it except in fragments. This building has been here for over a century, this congregation for almost four There is no challenge we face today that has not been faced by our ancestors in some form or another. When the details of our daily ministry here become overwhelming, it can be so helpful to sit here peacefully, listen for the voices of the past, and get a little perspective. Recently, during one of these solitary sessions, I remembered the Harry Potter books and the magical castle that houses the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Now there is a place with history. It's a place where personalities of the past are as present in day-to-day life as the students and the faculty of the school. There are those old pictures of former professors and headmasters, the ones that talk to one another and even leave their frames to exchange places. Am I the only one who's wondered about those portraits on our parish hall and parlor walls? (laughs) What do you suppose Ezra Ripley and Dana Greeley talk about after we all leave? (laughs) Hogwarts Castle is also inhabited by numerous ghosts who wander the halls, fly over the dining tables, and wreak mischief from time to time. The living inhabitants of Hogwarts treat their presence with nonchalance, walking through their ectoplasm, brushing them aside when irritated, and laughing at their antics. But every once in a while, one of these ever-present spirits holds the key to a mystery. We are surrounded by such spirits here in Concord. They are in those portraits on the walls downstairs. Their names are on the plaques that grace the walls of this sanctuary. Their words are our sacred scriptures. Their stories are our history. It is Lucy Myrick who has emerged from this cloud of witnesses these last few months to guide me on a journey of discovery. Lucy Caroline Whittemore exemplified the well-read 19th century New England woman. She was highly educated and well-read, a captivating conversationalist, a poet, and an extremely gifted musician. 
She married Henry Myrick, a Unitarian minister who served a succession of parishes in New England. His career in ministry was turbulent and at war on his family. After enduring three difficult years of physical and emotional hardship in Castine, Maine, Lucy and Henry agreed to disagree. Lucy moved with eight of her nine children to Concord in the mid-1870s, and here she established herself as a music teacher, providing private piano lessons and music classes in the public schools. And she played on the first parish, Hook and Hastings, organ. By all accounts, she was a very petite woman, and yet she could play upon the grandest pipe organ with great expertise. She was known for her improvised preludes and postludes. And as you have heard, Ralph Waldo Emerson greatly admired her playing and would sit after services in rapt attention to listen. From her own words and from the accounts of her loved ones, I have come to know a, wom a woman who was talented and who was able to gracefully defy the confining conventions of her era. A woman for whom music was a lifeline in times of hardship. These lines from her Ode to the Organ also speak to me, a woman who finds strength and solace and transcendence in making music. Grief, care and fear, and doubt and sorrow, all that pains the soul immortal, all that makes it dread the morrow, all, all disappear. I seem to borrow wings from ye, ye winged ones, and with ye my heart ascends. Though you may only have met her today, Lucy has, in a sense, been present all along, hovering among our cloud of witnesses. From that organ loft, I imagine she has observed the discussions, the disagreements, the decisions, all those that led to the building of the beautiful Russell organ that we dedicate today. Even as we considered our present and imagined our future, Lucy's name on the facade of that organ and the voice of her great-granddaughter, Patricia Cummings, on several of our organ committees linked us to our history. Through Lucy Myrick, we connect our new organ with the 1901 organ and even with the 1871 Hook and Hastings that she played upon so magnificently. Decades before it, and the building that housed it were destroyed by fire. As I have journeyed into the past with Lucy as my guide and read words that celebrate our tradition of conservation and creativity, I have been mindful that, like us, our predecessors created for a future they could not control or foresee. Buildings burn. Leaders leave. Loved ones die. Change happens gradually, and it happens suddenly. And yet, 
There abides in our congregation this instinct to tap our historic roots, build the best we can today, and give it to the future with hope and love and faith in the continuity of what we value the most. This Russell organ is the latest in a long line of instruments to inspire us, to breathe with us, to sing with us. We thank Steve Russell for building this gift to our future. May the singing never be done.